Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings to all corporeal and non-corporeal listeners. Indeed, greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I really appreciate it. Ben seems, I mean, he sounds ambivalent about it, but he really is grateful for the new listeners and the old listeners. Um, But I will reiterate that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? You know, we are, but I found out something about you today that I didn't know, uh, despite being friends for years. And that's the Sammy. So get this. Sammy jacks himself up for the podcast by eating these classic hazelnut wafer cookies on mic just before we go on the air. Yeah, the the, the crumbs really do it for me. Um, and these are like, these are, I guess, Italian hazelnuts from the Alps or something like that. It's, yeah. It's like long rectangular wafer cookies you would get as a kid. And they didn't really seem like cookies because they were so light, but then you bit into them and they were just so rich and delicious. I love them. I can't stop eating them sometimes. And that fuels the podcast. So I didn't know that's that. what fuels me. Yeah. Sammy just keeps unfolding like a flower. He has many don't, layers like an onion. You don't have pre podcast fuel? No, I go in totally like running on empty. Just that's bait. why it always sounds like you're rushing to the end there. Just fumes. You know, like <laughs> I, I, it gives me an edge. <laughs> Uh, and that's why you get so hangry about everything. The unwelcome edge. That's right. Um, I'm I'm here to tell people uh, where they can find your latest work, Ben. I'm really bad at figuring it out, so why don't you tell them instead? Sure, you can find my work at Motor Trend. You can find my work at Inside Hook and at Haggerty. And let's go with Driving Line. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine. Um, and what should we go with this fourth one, Ben? I don't know. Um, do you have like electric, another, do you have like a electric crazy Electric Autonomy acronym? Canada. Let's do that one. All right. Electric Autonomy Canada. I also want to throw, throw out the fact that, uh, my graphic novel code 45 is hitting bookstores on December. I want to say 12th. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning it now, you know, a couple of weeks ahead of, ahead of time is because, it's available for pre-order. Like if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any, you know, pretty much any bookstore in Canada or the U S you can order the book. Um, if you missed it the first time, this is the collected version. So it's the whole thing all at once. And we put in a bunch of cool extra stuff in there, like extra art and, and uh, an essay and whatnot, just talking about the, the story and our inspiration for it. In any case, um, it's it's available now for pre-order. Pre-orders help a lot because it helps the printers and publishers determine how many copies they're going to make available for distribution. So if you are interested in picking up a copy of my graphic novel, which is about dragons, drugs, and underground raves um, beneath the st- city streets of Montreal, you can do that at any bookstore, Code 45, do it online, do it in person, however you do it. I appreciate it. I love it. Um Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. We do. Well, are they really cars, though, Sammy? <laughs> um, crossovers, SUVs, something like that. Mine's a truck. I'm gonna. Oh, go, yours is a truck. I'm, I'm gonna start with. A, I'm gonna start with a, a truck, and it's it's a truck of trucks. Actually, it's an HD truck. The Silverado. Oh, right. Yes, your massive truck. Yeah, the 2500 HD, which is the heavy duty version of the full size pickup platform from Chevrolet. So, I don't want to talk about this truck too much because. It's, HD trucks are a very specialized market. Very few people are buying this truck unless they absolutely need it. And there's, okay. there's a, you know, it's a task focused vehicle. And there's a reason for that. I mean, this is an 8,000 pound truck. It is ginormous, absolutely huge. And it comes with 
the choice of a gigantic V8 engine or a gigantic diesel V8 engine. Uh, but the reason it's it's important enough for me to want to drive it, even though I don't typically need an HD truck around this time of year because I'm not doing, my, my towing season is done. Uh, I did drive the Ford uh, F-250, what, two months ago. Okay. So it was fresh in my mind when yeah. I was driving this truck. And the interesting thing is when I drove the F-250, it was a very basic model, right? It had the, the V8 engine, the base V8, but it, it had almost no interior luxuries. And this is the opposite end of that spectrum. It's a high country truck, which is as expensive as it gets. I believe my truck costs something like $80,000 or it might even be more than that. Let me double check. Just under 90K, Sam. It was wow. 80, 88,000 okay. the way it was configured. And it came with the Duramax diesel engine. It's a 6.6 liter, I believe, to turbocharged V8. And uh, for 2024 which is the model year I drove, Chevy has done some upgrades to this truck because they caught a lot of flack when it came out in 2020. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. I don't remember them getting flack on the 2020. Is that the 2020 model that we said was a dud? That was the 1500. But the, that the, was the, the 1500. When the HD came out, when the 2500 and the 3500 came out, they had this super gig- gigantic visage, like this huge chrome grill with oh, like a, right. yes. a, that big bar and tiny headlights. And I didn't think it was that terrible, but apparently I'm in the minority because a lot of people just kind of ragged on them incessantly to the point where they've redesigned the look of the outside of the truck, kind of. Okay. If you buy a LT trim and above, you get a different look in the front than if you, sorry, if you buy the LT trim and above, you get a different interior, which is nicer than the very basic interior the truck came with. So if you buy a work truck or a custom, it's still the basic model. But to get the exterior treatment, you have to buy like a LTZ and a ZR2 or the the high country like I had. So it's this weird situation where there is a nicer model of the HD that's out now, but you have to spend a lot of money to get full access to everything. Like if you want the bigger screens inside, if you want the grill that has, uh, instead of kind of being a squinty light at the top, it has a larger, um, I guess, light fixture with more LED integration and stuff and a different kind of grill. You have to pay more for that. I think it's 53,000 is like the cheapest you can get an LT truck. And then you have to spend a little bit more if you want an LTZ. Yeah. So this is an expensive vehicle. Um, I will say that, the high country model is quite nice inside. They've done a nice job of bringing it up to spec. And uh, it's unfortunate that this is kind of what they should have done in the first place. That's that's my vibe when I'm inside of it. It okay. does feel luxurious. It doesn't have features like massage and stuff, which you kind of expect when you're spending $90,000 yeah. on a truck. But it does have a lot of towing features that are helpful. It does have a very nice gauge cluster now. It has a nicer infotainment screen. I didn't have to put it in safe mode like I did with the Colorado the week before, <laughs> which is always a plus. Yes. And uh, the interior is huge, as, as huge as the outside is. Um, under the hood, you've got a... There's an improvement on the turbo motor as well, which is a bit... Maybe a bit worth the money that you're spending on this vehicle because... It's got 470 horsepower and 975 pound-feet of torque, which is absolutely crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How does that compare, though, to some of the competition? This is what's interesting. So it's 65 more pound-feet than the year before and about 25 more horsepower. If if you look on paper, I think the F-250 is over 1,000 pound-feet of torque, and I think Ram's um, heavy-duty trucks are also ahead of the Silverado just on the spec sheet. But in a straight line, this truck will show the taillights to both the 2500 
and the, the Ram 2500 and the F250. It has like, it's something like six and a half seconds to 60 miles an hour, which is crazy because it's what? it's so heavy. Are you joking? You I'm gotta not be joking. joking. I'm not joking. And in the quarter mile, I think it's like low 14s, which is faster than any of its rivals. So I don't know if it's gearing. Um, Chevy says they changed how the engine is managed. They changed this to turbocharger management to make it more efficient. And there's a few other upgrades. In terms of efficiency, I saw like 16 miles per gallon, no matter what I was doing with the truck. Like if I was on the highway, if I was around town, that's not great. The EPA does not require you to publish information about efficiency for trucks of this weight. So there's no actual number. When I say that's not great, I'm saying like compared to a light duty truck for a heavy duty truck. I mean, I guess it's fine. It's Um, okay. Yeah. If you tow with it, you'll probably be around like 11 to 13. And that's similar to, I think, what I saw with the F-250 gas model. Okay, so then you did do some towing with this, right? No, I didn't. I, fi- no. I did. I, I My towing season is done, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but I, I did haul a bunch of stuff from Montreal to my new house. And then I took a bunch of junk to the recycling center. And um, it didn't matter. Like, what load I had in the truck made no difference on efficiency. And I clearly didn't even come close to. I mean, this truck has like a 26,000-pound um, towing capacity. If you have the, I think it's that how much, sorry, 22,500. If you use the gooseneck attachment, and I think it's like 18,000 off the bumper or 19,000 or not, not off the bumper, but under the bumper with like okay. a class four. So it's, it's, it's absurd. You know, I'm not even going to come close to that. My, my race car is like 2,500 pounds. So it's literally <laughs> 10 times more <laughs> than, my, than the load I would normally haul. Yeah. Um, okay, then you, you did get a chance to drive some other, um, you, you said last week, I think you drove, um, a midsize pickup going from the midsize to the HD, you notice obviously the size difference. I mean, that's, that's a stupid thing to talk about, but for me, do you notice the usability difference in, in your use case between the two? Yeah, I was able to put a lot more in the bed of the truck. No question. Obviously. It was okay. way more useful. Uh, even the end, you know, also carrying stuff inside. What was interesting was I had some items that I didn't want. It was potentially going to rain when I was doing mm-hmm. my hauling. And there was some stuff I didn't want to get wet. So I started loading the one side of the truck, like the rear side of the truck, the, 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 the I guess the back seats. Yeah. And I, I, I thought I would... You know, I thought I'd have to eventually switch and start loading the other side, but I fit everything I needed to behind the driver's seat. Oh it was God, crazy. Okay. And then on the other side of that, behind the passenger seat, was just completely empty. So truth be told, I probably could have brought a lot of what I had in the bed inside the truck. Into the vehicle. Holy yeah. cow, it's that big? I but, guess I don't I don't expect them to be that big inside either. Well, the flip side of the of the large size is that even though I live in the country now and have a pretty huge driveway, humble brag, <laughs> it was a hassle. This truck was okay. a hassle to get in and out. Um, we have my my partner has her car now, her Crosstrek, and we were just trying to do, I guess, Tetris, figuring out where it was best to park her vehicle so that I could get mine turned around. Um, and I ended up just often just leaving it at the end of the driveway so I get back out onto the road. Because it was simpler to do. Uh, but the problem with that is it's so long that backing it out on the road meant I had to, I had big blind spots, first of all. Yeah, that's insane. Okay. There's a mailbox across the street of my mailbox that I don't want to hit. So I'm yeah. having to like, the whole process involved me blocking the entire road for like a good 30 seconds to 90 seconds every time I wanted to leave the house. And at night, reversing the truck down my driveway was just, it's just a big hassle. It's 
This is a truck that I think you absolutely need to have a use case for or it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's my biggest thing here is that I think there's there's a lot of big trucks. And from what I understand, they're quite good. But um, I think they can have some, I don't know, like practical logistics you've got to figure out every day on how to make it work for you, right? For sure, for sure. I, but, you know, that diesel, I mean, it's really impressive. The power delivery is, is extremely impressive. I... I I really feel like we're, you know, people talk about the golden age of muscle, but mm-hmm. I think we're in the, or, or I guess, you know, V8 performance and whatnot and turbocharged performance. So you look at like what AMG and BMW have been able to do with the M and the M cars. But I think we're also in a platinum age for diesel pickups. It's just insane how great these motors are. And if you look back, like it, it felt like in the 90s and the 2000s, diesel was a little bit voodoo, like GM made diesels that weren't super great. And Ford had some good diesels and some bad diesels. And the gold standard was Cummins, which was this mm-hmm. partnership with with Dodge and, and later Ram. But nowadays, it kind of feels like each of the manufacturers has really solid diesel offerings that have insane power, decent fuel mileage for what they are. And... Uh, you know, if you told someone you were going to have a thousand pound feet of torque in the nineties, I think it would have just been mind blowing. Um, so then that's, a, that's a, that's a great point, but has the public soured on diesel, um, vehicles? No, because I don't think these are vehicles aimed at the public. I mean, if you're paying this much money, if you're paying 90 grand because you want this, the diesel option is the $10,000 option. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're paying 90 grand for that option, uh, sorry, if you're paying 90 grand for a truck that includes that option, you're doing that because you need it. You're a quasi commercial buyer at that point, I think, or you have a farm operation where you're towing enormous trailers with either equipment or livestock or that kind of thing. Or you have a lifestyle where you have a a really big boat and you need to get that boat from like 10 miles (laughs) to the Marina once a year and then 10 miles back to your house uh, in the spring or sorry, in the fall. Um, And at that, at that level, I think the price point of this truck doesn't matter. Like if you have a boat that's that large. So I, I kind of feel like this is a, I don't know. This is a vehicle that is like a super luxury vehicle in the sense that it has an ultra specific market. And if you need this truck, you need it. You have no choice. You can't just buy a light duty truck to do things a heavy duty truck can do because it's impossible. I mean, even vehicles with the highest tow rating in the F2, sorry, F-150 or regular Silverado range are like 10,000 pounds less in terms of towing capacity versus this truck. Okay. Um, now, we've also talked in the past about towing towing vehicles can sometimes they don't have to be trucks right like they can be yes uh, big old suvs yeah and the s there there aren't suvs are there suvs based on the hds though not anymore no. i don't think chevy offers a heavy duty uh suburban they used to uh, but i want to say that ended in like the mid 2000s they also offered you what can get like those? what's that what were those called it was just a su- su- suburban 2500 um, and cool. you could get an 8.1 liter motor, I want to say, or an 8.4. I think it was an 8.1. It was the last big block V8 that GM made um, in in a factory vehicle. I don't think they make anything like that anymore. I don't think you can even get like a, uh, used to be able to get like a van application, like a commercial yeah. cab, uh, the cutaways with a big block. But oh, I, yeah, think, okay. I think those have been gone for quite a while now too. But then as a result, if you do need to tow whatever bajillion pounds that these HDs can do, you're stuck to a pickup truck, which yes. now as a result, they're, they are, they have larger cabs, which should be a little bit more family friendly as well. 
But but you have to also look beyond the fact that um, you have to look beyond the fact that you're going to need a pickup truck to tow because the towing capacity that if you want to access twenty two thousand pounds of towing, you need a fifth wheel gooseneck connection. You can't do that with a, with an okay. SUV. That's in the bed of the truck. And my vehicle came with that from the factory. It was prepped for that. So you're you're looking at a very specific type of hitch that that is not going to be available to an SUV. Interesting. Do you think that the 2500 is now at the top of the the class of of heavy duty pickups? There's still a Ram and there's a um, a Ford, of course, that I offer have... heavy duty. There's also just to quickly jump in here. I think electric vehicles are starting to they want to be in in heavy duty territory. I don't know if that's going to actually happen. I, but... I think we're extremely far away from that. Okay. Uh, just in terms of if you're buying a quasi commercial vehicle, you're not going to stop every hundred miles to charge. And you also are going to have difficulty charging if you're towing a trailer that big because there's no drive-through charging yet. So okay. I don't, I can't foresee. I think for commercial applications, stuff like uh, in in city transport, like uh, cube trucks, is kind mm-hmm. of where that's at at this point because you're going from point A to point B and then back again, and that that really fits in well if you need to charge a fleet. Um, but I just don't see, you know, a Rivian isn't towing twenty-two thousand pounds. Okay, fine. Um, but, uh, we, we, I wanted to know if the, if, how you felt about its hierarchy and the, um, it's hard to say because I've only driven the base F250. I haven't driven something with the diesel and I haven't driven a model that has all the bells and whistles. Uh, so I can't really put them in place. I haven't driven a a heavy duty Ram in quite a while. I think the last one I might've driven was like the, the power wagon. And that would have been like three or four years ago. So I, I need to get a better lay of the land before I, I make some kind of pantheon okay. to, to mix a metaphor there. <laughs> um, anything you want to mention about this vehicle that didn't, uh, that really like gr- grinded your gears, I guess is the best way to put it. So like uh, really made you hesitate to, uh, besides the, the cumberness, like the, the cumbersome element of driving, driving, reversing it out of your driveway. Nothing that I can think of. No, I mean, there was, it's pretty much what you expect for the vehicle this size. Um, it's, it had the, the, the mirrors that it had, it had like giant mirrors and then you could s- telescope them out even more if you wanted to, which I thought was kind of amusing, uh, given the fact that you're already covering such a huge part of the road. Um, uh, there's nothing nothing else that I can think of. The model I had had a Z71 package, which we talked about last week a little bit when we were talking about the Trail Boss. Right. And I'd read that for some drivers, when they were on graded roads or gravel roads, it was difficult to control the vehicle or it felt rough. And I actually spent a lot of time on dirt roads with the truck while it was with me, and I had no issues at all. It was pretty comfortable, and I had no handling problems and certainly no comfort issues. So I, I think even with the Z71 package, which uses, like, uses a different shock absorber it's still a pretty a pretty good buy okay that's that's cool um i want to transition really quickly to talk about the vehicle that i'm driving this week if you're okay with that yeah more than okay anything you want you anything else you want to mention about the silverado i'm so done with the silverado do you want to drive the sierra version instead i uh, no, i'm good okay <laughs> pass right. on that um i've been driving the 2024 kia uh sorry not kia hyundai kona n-line um, and I've actually received a couple of compliments about it, mainly because the Kona has received a really substantial visual upgrade from the outgoing model. Um, right off the bat, I think this car looks pretty cool. It follows that same sort of like really harsh, harshly creased 
you know, side profile body body language that we saw with the Elantra and the Tucson in particular. If you if you look at this, I think you're gonna you're you're gonna notice immediately that this is a a fresh new design for the Kona, and I think as a result, it makes the Kona look a little bit bigger. I should double check to see if it has gotten bigger. I, it feels bigger as well on the inside. The Kona used to be one of my favorite um, subcompact um, crossovers, but I think size-wise, it always made me feel like I was in a in a sub subcompact vehicle. What did you like? What made it your favorite, though? I think it was it was it was fun to drive, um, and it had a, a relatively peppy powertrain with the uh, with the one point six liter turbo that you could get for it. Now the end line. Is it still front wheel drive only? It is not. This is this is not an N. This is an N line. Well, that's what so I said. Yeah, the N line. Yes. No, you can get all wheel drive. That's what I've got. Okay. Um, and I just I don't know. I I've really fallen for some of the. I don't know. It's it's a very cute look. It's it's good looking. Um, the front end has this really like thin light span that goes across the the, um, the grill. And I think right off the bat, when you see that, you're going to be like, oh, this is a whole new, this is a whole new car. The powertrain, though, is, it feels identical to what it used to be. Um, I think that is fine. That was one of the things that I found to be, you know, pretty reasonable. It had 190 horsepower and I think probably 200 pound-feet of torque. That's the 1.6 liter turbo? It's a 1.6 liter turbo. That is the upgraded motor. You only get that in the end line and the limited. Okay. The interesting thing is the last generation model used to have a dual clutch transmission. Yes. And now this one does not have that. It says, they say it has a, um, I don't believe this. This is weird, but. <laughs> you think they're lying to you? I do think they're lying to me. It says they have an eight speed automatic, but to me, it sounds like a CVT. Mm, um, I'm going to double good. check that. That's, that's a big warning sign. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I was not the, 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 the drivetrain, sorry, the, the transmission in particular never felt um, snappy like I think uh, an automatic would be. There were just moments when it would feel like, you know, just like a, just like a, a normal transmission, right? Well, so do you think that that's just tuning? Because, I mean, you can make a torque converter automatic feel pretty slushy if you wanted to. Yeah, this is an eight-speed automatic. I guess they, they did that. Like, I don't know how to say that. They did that. Um, and I also need to add that they've changed the way you, you select gears in this vehicle. It's identical to the, the, the gear selector in the Hyundai Ionic and Ionic five and Ionic six, which is a little column mounted, um, shifter, which is, which is, I don't know. It's just kind of weird that they, they've done that, but does it give you more console space? Yeah, there's a ton of console space. In fact, um, I don't, I think you remember this. They have like these buttons, um, in the console space that you you press and they like fire off these spring-loaded cup holders. <laughs> and uh, I'm warning people, they right now, don't put anything in the path of those cup holder because they'll go flying somewhere else in the car. You'll never, if you had, if you had coins in there, they're gone now. So I, I remember driving this back in 2022. Just the um, regular Kona. No, uh, sorry. The, the N-Line. Okay, the N-Line. And the unupgraded model. When I drove, yeah, so the previous previous generation. So when I drove it, you couldn't, like, it gave you fancier looks and it gave you the turbo motor, but mechanically, like, in terms of the chassis, it was the same as the Limited, like the same suspension setup. Is that still true? 
Like I mean, the, I haven't driven the limited, and I I don't. I just mean equipment. No, I don't like, think so. There's no drive modes that are different. There's nothing. About I do have it. drive modes, but I think there's drive modes in the other car too. Yeah, right? I yeah. kind of feel like this is it's a way to get the turbo engine. It's an image. It's it's a sportier look versus the limited, which I guess is a more quote unquote luxurious version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, it's a step between. Yeah, it's a step below the limited, the the luxury version, and I think that's. Um, it's also got like these, you know, buckets, bucket seats that are a little bit more heavier bolstered. It's got like these N logos on the on the seat backs. It's it's cool. I think that's the I think that's what they're going for. It's a cooler choice than the limited, which might seem a little stuffy or high end or premium or something like that. And it's the cheapest way to get the turbo motor. Yes, there's there's only two trim levels: the N line and the and the limited. And the N line is a thousand dollars cheaper, and uh, that's what you get there. There's, it's very bizarre to me that uh, there's also a totally different design. The N line has a different front grille. It's got a rear spoiler. Um, I think it's got unique wheels that aren't uh, uh, available on the other models. And I think like fancier colors too, right? I think so. You get like that cool blue and yeah, you could probably get that really cool light blue. But to me, um, yeah, let me double check. You can't get that light blue you can get like it's like a a bright blue kind of look yes the other question i have for you and you might not know this because it's a little obscure but that thousand that thousand dollar difference so i know that the old kona used to have a tech package that you could get okay that would give you like a better stereo and a bigger infotainment system and adaptive cruise and a sunroof and all that stuff and back then it was standard with the limited but it was like 2500 bucks if you added it to the end line does the limited have a decent like if you were to look at it and say, okay, I have to choose between the fan, the, the, the sporty looks of the N line or a much better equipped limited. That's actually a bit of a, of a bargain. If you're looking at adding those features to the N line, is that there are so few features in the, uh, in the limited that I think are in the N line. So the thousand dollars will get you ventilated front seats, which I think is, is always worth the the money. If you live in somewhere that gets uh, pretty hot in the summer, swampy, um, it gets a surround view camera set up like, uh, for, for parking and, um, an upgraded, uh, rear view mirror, which has the, the home link, you know, the garage door openers. Okay. And it's got uh, a different, that blind view monitor Oof. camera, which is the, um, not a big fan. It shows you the a video display in the, in the gauge cluster. So that's it. So. Does that, I think that's worth a thousand bucks. But does that I mean think, that the N line has equivalent to the limited everywhere else? Or yeah, it feels like it for sure. Okay, that's that's kind of a, a big change for them. So like parking sensors as well is another feature that the the limited has over the N line. I actually think the limited feels like a feels like a a good step up over the the N line just for a thousand dollars more. So what's the total price though of the of so the I'm spending. Um, thirty-four thousand dollars on this on this end line. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Um, I which mean, isn't, in which twenty twenty in twenty twenty two, it started yeah. at twenty five seven. It still starts the end line. Yes. started at twenty five. Yes. Holy moly! Okay, well, for that, I they've believe. made the vehicle a little bit bigger. I think about five inches longer. Um, it's much quieter. That's what I would say. That was probably one of the biggest off put the the, the things that people off the most with um, the affordable Kona in the past is that it was just really loud and kind of buzzy and it felt yeah. rattly. Um, and 
I don't know. I think that uh, this car is a little bit more practical than I was expecting it to be. Mainly, I, I'm only mentioning that because I used to think that the Crosstrek was the best um, family-oriented um, subcompact crossover. I think that it, it just had the most interior space, cargo space, um, and features for the money. And uh, But if, if that wasn't interesting to you, I would always recommend the, the Kona. Now I think that the new updated Kona has kind of bridged that gap um, to the cross track and, um, and the only downside now is that it's a bit more, exp- it's significantly more expensive. Yeah. I mean, I look at the base price is like 30 grand. He, the base price is 30 grand. Yeah. Um, oh, for the N line. Yes. Yeah. For the N line. Um, the yeah. base price of the regular Kona is, uh, is 24, which I, is okay. I just tried building one and there were honestly no options. So what I think, yeah. what I think happened and here's what the difference in price is. All the stuff that used to be optional on the previous pre-refresh car, it's probably now standard. <laughs> yeah, I the, think that's I think that's right. Because there were a bunch of, of, of packages that you could add before. And I just, you know, I just built one and there's nothing. It's like you just get what you get, and it's it's all standard equipment. Um I'm I'm also impressed with the technology inside the inside the Kona. I think that they've they've Turned it on. Like, I don't know how, to, how else to say this, but there's, like, I don't have a gauge cluster. I have that digital gauge dash. Like, it's a, a really cool screen that's split up in two between the, the gauge cluster and the infotainment system. This vehicle also has wireless Android Auto. It has wireless phone charging. It has um, some really, you know, useful infotainment system features um, and customizable features as well. So you can change the way the, ga- the gauge cluster looks. And I think it looks kind of unique. I think they they've pulled it off. I think they they managed to make uh, the screens feel and look much more functional and usable than than in the past. So, are you willing to put this above the Crosstrek now on your ranking? So, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that just yet because I'm actually going to be driving the Crosstrek um, and comparing it to the to the Kona like head to head next week. Okay. So, uh, I'm looking I'm at looking one forward- in my driveway right now, and I I don't know. I'm looking forward to that. So did we talk about how you, that purchase experience went for, for, yes. for you? Yes. yes. Okay. So I don't know. To me, my biggest concern about these vehicles is that um, occasionally I get a little like um, hesitant to recommend subcompact crossovers to people who are families, small families, because I don't think as much as people think that a crossover will have more space and will be more practical. I don't think that's always the case. But more space than what? Yeah, more space than uh, an Elantra. I don't. I don't know. I don't think it really has that much more space. So I really do recommend that people take a look at the the price equivalent sedan in the portfolio, and uh, like in this case, an Elantra or even a, a Sonata, which I think you can get for thirty five grand. I mean, no a problem. Sonata is a really cool vehicle, and it's big. Yeah. So just it's just the all wheel drive thing thing that I think people get hung up on, or maybe ground clearance. And uh, I don't know if that trade-off is worth the the reduction in interior space and cargo space. And the ground clearance on one of these vehicles, let's be clear, is not exceptional. No, it's fine. Like it's nothing special. Yeah. And you'd get this powertrain in all those cars too, like the the turbo four and the and the automatic as well. So I don't know. I'm I'm always I'm always wary because now I, I've driven this car with uh, a stroller and a baby seat, and they're not. It's not the most accommodating 
vehicle for those kinds of features. And I think sometimes I'm like, I just wish I had a bigger sedan in some cases, right? So, but maybe for a family whose kids are out of the stroller phase. Yeah, that might work. Um, that might work substantially better. Yes. Yeah, because then you have the the hatchback for, you know, hockey bags and that kind of stuff. But you mm-hmm. have enough rear seat room for a child who's maybe just in like a regular a regular car seat or like a smaller, less complex car seat, I mean to say, um, versus what you'd have with like a, a toddler or an infant. But I want to be clear. I do think that this Kona is among the best in the class. Um, and that's a I think that's an important place to be because some of these vehicles feel really really non-competitive yeah there's some cash grabs out there if you've seen the toyota corolla cross this is not a car that's enjoyable in in any way it feels like a penalty box it feels like you walked into a toyota dealership you couldn't get uh you couldn't you couldn't make ends meet with a with a rav4 or a venza even (laughs) and you got sent down to the to the minor league when the in the corolla cross i don't think that it does seem odd to me that like RAV4 and Venza, sorry, the, the RAV4 and that the Corolla Cross are being sold at the same time because Toyota <laughs> see, must yeah. to, Toyota must know, you know, like like if you're a salesperson and you're at Toyota, you're not steering someone towards a Corolla Cross ever. Like, no. what's the strategy there? Because the RAV4 is going to be more profitable, I think, for Toyota to sell. It's it's better all around. The price difference, I don't think, is enormous. No, so it's it's kind of odd, like. I guess you're relying on someone who's coming in and saying, that's what I want and pointing at that's the That's impossible. I, I, I mean, I would tend to agree with you, but it just, I don't get it otherwise. Like, I'm looking at the price right now. It is substantial. It's 23000 versus 28000 So that's $5,000. That's not nothing. But I don't know. Do they, is there still a hatchback version of the Corolla out there? I'm going to double check. Yes. Yes, definitely. And, and it is the same price as the the Corolla Cross. And I would recommend it over the Corolla Cross. Definitely. It is a much more enjoyable vehicle to drive. And I don't think the base model of either has all-wheel drive. So it's not like that's the decision maker, right? If you're going to put all-wheel drive on your Corolla Cross, I think you're going to be spending more money. Yes. So, Um, yeah. In this class, though, if you were going to save money, um, I would think that the Kicks from Nissan is is a better choice. And then also they have a Rogue Sport. I think we call it the Qashqai in Canada. Yeah. But the Rogue Sport could also pull that feed off for some t- like substantially less money. And we're big, um, you know, longtime Kicks uh, supporters. Although the, the latest one's not as cool as the old one was, but it's still pretty good. It's all right. I mean, like I said, cheap cars are like, I hate the lack of cheap cars. This is my biggest problem. When I came into this, when I started, you know, writing and working on cars, there was a really big push for cheaper cars. Um, and the cheap cars became very good. I'm talking about Hyundai Accents and Kia Rios that had all of the features that you were you were looking for. And the Nissan in Can- Micra. And in Canada, they ended up getting the Nissan Micra. We saw Chevy Sparks that had, uh, that had really cool equipment as well. And um, those have all gone away. And instead, you're being offered these bloated, uncompetitive, uninspired subcompact crossovers that are expensive um for any of that equipment you know there's really no money for these car companies to go after uh go after people who are are looking for a cheap car unless they can sell a ton of them right and because everyone buys crossovers now they can't sell a ton of cheap cars so they've just decided to leave the market entirely i hate that i i I don't like it either and i also think that something can be said 
for the automakers, and I think this is what worked for Hyundai and Kia for a brief period of time, is that they would sell those Kias, those Rios and those uh, Accents to people who are on a budget. And then when the time came that the, either the lease ran out or it was time to upgrade, they experienced a, a, a fine vehicle that that worked as it should during their, their purchase process period and upgraded within the Kia dealership because they were they were familiar. If you go to Japan or you go to India or you go to, you know, Singapore, yeah. you're going to see all of these small compact hatchbacks that are affordably priced and very useful. And and just the market here has rejected them. I agree. Uh, and I don't know. I I understand why people want bigger vehicles. I just hate the fact that we're paying so much more. I hate the fact that there's no them. choice. Right. Like, yeah, if you want a bigger vehicle and you need a bigger vehicle, yes, you should buy one. You should buy whatever vehicle you want. I'm not the vehicle police. And I don't think it's our job to tell people what they should and shouldn't buy, even though it's literally the description of our job. But at the (laughs) same time, I think there should be the option to buy something else. And I think when there isn't that option, the market is poorly served. Very true. But anyways, if you are looking for a a compact crossover, a small, an a small compact crossover, a subcompact crossover. The the new Hyundai Kona is is very good. Is very good. So continuing this theme of small cars, we had a listener write in. Uh, Jason wrote to us, and thank you, Jason, for being a longtime listener. Really appreciate it. Um, he is in the middle of a car buying decision where he's considering buying an EV. And what's interesting about this is he's looking at two small EVs that are reasonably affordable, decently practical. And his use case is the kind of use case where a an entry level or a, a compact SUV makes the most sense. Sorry, as mm-hmm. not SUV, EV. Um, he has a commute to work that's 65 kilometers round trip two times per week. So that's oof, about 40 miles. Yep. And he, he's going to be doing local errands. And his wife has a CX-5 that they can use if they need to leave the city and go on longer trips. So it's perfect. This is perfect for an EV. So he's looking at... Um, he currently has a, a Camry and a Miata, and he'd be ditching the Camry to pick up the Miata, keeping the Miata and picking up either a Chevy Bolt or a Mini SE, both from the same model year. Sammy, these are two very different in some ways, but kind of similar in other ways, EVs. Uh, the way Jason sees it is the Bolt is more practical, has way more range. We're looking at, what, 259 miles versus 100 miles for yeah. the for the uh, Mini? I think the Mini might have a little bit more than 110, that. 110, yeah. 120, something like that. Uh, but he feels that the Mini might be more fun to drive. And since he doesn't have a long commute and doesn't plan to use the vehicle all that often, maybe that's the better way to go. What do you think? It's 114 miles in the Mini um, Cooper SE. But I would I would really push him to the Bolt. I think the extra range is... Um, is reassuring. I yeah. think it's much more practical. And I, I actually think it's it's not that bad to drive at all. No, we were talking before the podcast that um, the thing about having the Bolt is it's good to have a, a gas-powered car for when you need to go somewhere that is outside the range of, say, the mm-hmm. Mini. But let's say, Jason, that your wife is – she's running an errand or she's, she's away for the weekend or something and she has the Mazda and you need to go somewhere or something comes up. Having that extra range in the Bolt is going to make your life a lot simpler – uh, compared to the mini where you might have to figure out a whole bunch of charging options on your way to wherever it is you need to go unexpectedly. Um, the other thing you mentioned is that he said he might sell the Miata if he ends up getting the mini. No. I mean, 
don't do that. You got to keep the my my sister has a 2000 Miata as well. Um, every once in a while, she lets me drive it on a racetrack, and I get to reconnect with the fact that I regret losing my mini in a sorry losing my Miata in a flood so many years ago. Um, yeah. It's a great car. The mini. It's going to be. I have not driven the SE. I've driven some of the pl- the the hybrid versions of the mini. I believe there's a plug-in version right now. Um, I've driven that and it's fine, but it's going to be heavier. It's not going to feel as connected as your Miata, and the top doesn't go down. And like that makes such a difference <laughs> when you're when you're comparing the fun factor of these cars. In my opinion, uh, like Sammy, I think I also am leaning towards the Bolt just because it's so much more useful with that extra range. And yep. I, I think it might be a little bit bigger inside and I don't think it's, I don't think it drives poorly. Uh, I think it's decently quick. They're within a half second of each other, zero to 60. They're both under seven seconds, which is quick. Yeah. And, yeah. They, and they feel quick. Like I think is the, is more. Yeah. The off the line torque is good. Like on the highway, if you floor it in either of them, you're going to be like, okay, I guess this is, you know, it's fine, but it's not going to be exciting. But around town, which is kind of sounds like maybe what your commute is like. Um, I don't think you'd be disappointed, but my, my advice as always, and this is to anyone who buys a car is drive them both, drive them both back to back if you can and buy the one that you like, not the one that we recommend necessarily, but the one that you feel you're going to be living with this every day or two times a week. And you're going to want something that speaks to you. So many people, they drive a car, they end up buying the first car that they test drive. Because as we've said on the show many times, most cars are good these days. They're not horrendously bad. And then they end up, you know, two months later, their neighbor buys something else and it's in the driveway and they they drive that. Like their neighbor's like, hey, you want to try it out? And they're like, oh man, I really should have. Maybe this is what I really wanted, you know? So drive both of them, see which one you like. I don't think either. I don't think the Mini is a terrible buy, but it is a vehicle that I think is about to be replaced by a longer range version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the Bolt is kind of already there. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think I actually think Chevrolet and other automakers are trying to redo the Bolt at, at a at a more at a more con- sorry industry friendly price point for themselves. I think they. They made something very good. They sold it pretty well, and uh, I think now they're terrified that they have that they have set this standard for themselves, and uh, and don't know how to beat it. Yeah, I mean, not everyone can be Mazda with the CX thirty, right? Like, not <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or the MX thirty. Set the I'm set sorry. the bar low, and yeah. then uh, and, and then blow everyone away there. with your second effort. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's but totally I, no, what they I, were going really, for with the MX-30. That was... I really agree with Ben. Drive it. Drive it. Um, you And I probably consider driving the, the Mini first, if that's the one that you think is going to be more um, enjoyable. And then drive the the Chevy, because I think you'll be surprised at uh, at how decent that Chevy is. But what I really... And you get the added benefit of all that range and even more power and torque, I think. And what I really like about the choices you made here, Jason, is that both of these vehicles are available. Um, They are not the kind of EVs where I know you're looking at 2022 models, uh, but these are the kind of EVs where you're going to be on a waiting list or paying a huge premium for them. They're they're vehicles that are there's a decent supply of them. And that's a huge advantage because you're going to be able to, you know, look at different options from different dealers and not kind of be forced into this this corner where there's only one for sale that's Mm -hmm. anywhere nearby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for. Um, sending us a message. If anyone else wants to send a, send us a message, it's really easy to do so. You head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there that you just um, 
you fill it out and then it, it, it lands in our inbox. It's like magic. I don't know how this works. Technology, I, man. I think the internet is a bunch of tubes. Lots of magnets. And, and magnets, yeah, or magnets, or tubes with magnets. Rapidly in them. oscillating magnets. Did you know, and this is totally off topic, yeah. that uh, they did this study with electromagnets and that if they put them, if you put an electromagnet near someone's head, like near their brain, your, your brain is in your head, Sammy. And you get the internet? No, not quite. If you rapidly oscillate the magnet by running a current through it on and off, you can make them feel feelings of extreme dread and terror. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you oscillate anything around my head and I think I'll get I'll get feelings of uh, extreme terror. The reason the reason this has always stuck with me is because some people have posited that as a reason why people might think a house is haunted. Like they're being actually being exposed to electromagnetic fields that they're not aware of. And it's creating this feeling of dread inside of them, even though there's nothing around them that they can see that would make them feel that way. Well, that's something new. So back to podcasting about cars. Uh, If you want it, Sammy's told you how to get in touch about email. Um, You can also find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at hunting Benjamin. Sammy is somehow still on Twitter slash X at Sammy underscore hot. Like you're laughing. That's the one. And if you want to listen to past episodes, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of the episodes are there, or you can subscribe, like, and comment and refer us to your friends on any podcatcher that's out there. And we appreciate it when you do that very much. Thank you so much for listening. Ben, what are we talking about next week? Next week, I'm going to be talking about an electric car myself, but it's very different from the ones we were just talking about. It is the Mercedes-Benz EQE 500, which is the all-electric crossover version of their current EV platform. And I definitely have some thoughts. And as I mentioned earlier, I'll be testing the Crosstrack, and I'm going to see if my if my experience measures up to the one that Ben spent his actual money on. All right. So thank you for listening, everybody. See ya.